Welcome to the new RPS Pharmacine podcast, where we interview interesting people from the world of pharmacy and beyond. And we want to hear from you. Head to the RPS Twitter and hashtag RPS Pharmacine to have your say on who we should invite to the show and what you would like to ask our guests. Now, please welcome your hosts. My name is Gina Martini, and I'm the Chief Scientist for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. And today, our new look Pharmacine podcast series covering a wide variety of topics in the field of pharmacy. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Kirit Verdi. Kirit is based at Novartis, but is on secondment now as Culture Adoption Lead for the Pharma Ledger project, which we'll talk about today. Kirit, how are you today? I'm fine, Gino. Thank you very much for uh, having me on the podcast. It's great to connect with you. As you previously mentioned, I am working as the co-lead for the Pharma Ledger project, and that initially kicked off in January 2020. In terms of my background, I initially trained as a pharmacist, coming from a strong family of pharmacists. My dad was a pharmacist, my brother was a pharmacist, my other brother was a medic, and naturally I trained as a, a pharmacist within the community pharmacy setting. And after a few years, I then went on to study medicine and trained as a medic and rotated in in kind of trauma and orthopedics. So I originally joined Novartis two years ago, working as a medical advisor for their cardiology portfolio. And during an internal initiative with TEDx, I managed to do a talk on blockchain technology trust in the pharmaceutical industry. Hence, now I've been given the co-lead position for Work Package 6, which is the culture and adoption of blockchain technology within the pharmaceutical industry. Actually quite unusual, really, aren't you? You did a pharmacy degree and then you transitioned into medicine. Yeah, that's correct. Two weeks after completing my um, pharmacy degree and getting on, on the register, the Welsh Government actually were looking for, for postgraduate medics. And so then I went on to do a postgraduate fast track course in medicine. So initially studied pharmacy at the University of East Anglia, and then for medicine, I went to the University of Leicester. And in my final years, I actually went abroad for a year just to get a bit of a different experience and then came back and practiced as a doctor for a few years. But many, many thanks to you and the Royal Pharmaceutical Society for the the mini series podcast about careers within pharmaceutical or industrial pharmacy. It gave me a great insight because I was just about to either go into specialty training or GP training, but it just gave me a benchmark in terms of information. So it helped me plan out and focus for my next steps for my career in the the industry. So basically, the podcast series about a career in industrial pharmacy helped you get the impetus, the encouragement you needed to move. 100%. 100%. I was applying for roles and my CV was incorrect. My LinkedIn profile was incorrect. And I connected with yourself and, and Tarquin Bennett-Coles via Twitter. And after a few emails, like, you know, I had a, a good source of information to then go and apply to the correct roles. So initially at Novartis, I was working as a, a medical advisor on a cardiology portfolio. Um, but within the company, there were certain projects I was interested in. And after applying myself, I managed to land a secondment at the Pharma Ledger project, which has have been an amazing opportunity. But um, it's actually during medical school, I developed a keen interest in Bitcoin and blockchain technology. I guess I've been hooked ever since. I'm by no means a, a subject matter expert in, in this regard, but I do have a passion and dedication to learning about distributed ledger technologies. You know, I really do believe that it will change how digital trust ecosystems will be established in the future. And by this, I mean, I think we're going to have full exposure and transparency between all parties and stakeholders within a healthcare ecosystem. And all data within that ecosystem will be secure, 
and immutable. Technology has changed how patients access medical information or literature. And, you know, many people forget that we literally have a supercomputer in the palm of your hand, which can give you information on basically anything you want in seconds. Blockchain technology itself is only 12 years old. It's nascent. If you think how we've gone from a 56K modem to ultra-speed Wi-Fi, it's a paradigm shift that happened very quickly. I mean, the whole purpose of today's podcast, I think, is really exemplified in those few sentences. You train as a pharmacist, you became a medic, and now actually you're talking about blockchain technology and how that can be used to ensure that data is encrypted or be able to access by relevant parties. Really, really interesting. And we thought this podcast was interesting because people working in community hospitals need to be kept up to speed in the latest advances. Technology does not rest for anybody. We've got to be on top of our game. I suppose in a couple of sentences, Kira, could you explain what blockchain technology really is? Yeah, I get this question a lot from friends and family. And my understanding or definition of, of this question is it changes because now I'm involved in the project. Instead of looking at the technology on a granular level, I'm now looking at, at like a political or societal level to actually change the way patients are empowered. So at its core, blockchain technology is a way to keep information or data secure, accurate and immutable, which means it can't be altered or tampered with at, at a future date. And it's this immutability characteristic, which is what, one of the core features of blockchain technology. You know, something that is immutable of are the laws of physics. These can't be changed or altered. And when information is transacted through blockchain technology within an ecosystem, depending on the type of blockchain, you can get public blockchains known as Ethereum or Bitcoin, or you can get private or permissioned uh, blockchains. But what happens is, is that the information is transacted in, in an open and transparent digital environment. And all of this information is kept on an electronic record, which is known as a ledger. And this literally just keeps track of what's being changed between the different parties. And the use of ledgers is, is nothing new. The oldest ledgers date back to ancient Babylon and Egyptian times, and were used to track the movement of crops and goods in and out of fields, for example. But at its core, we can define blockchain technology using the five A's. And this is by no means my brainchild. Uh, kudos to the, uh, the colleagues in Basel, Dan Fritz and Marco Cuomo. Dan Fritz is the uh, project lead coordinator for the Pharma Ledger project. And Marco Cuomo is the head of applied tech and innovation at Novartis. So the five A's. The first A is asset. Because blockchain technology has an in inherent history with Bitcoin, um, most of the people look at assets or crypto assets with a, with a financial perspective. But the actual asset we have here is data. Data is the actual gold here. And this is medical data. This is medical product data. This is healthcare information records. It's any data which can be exchanged between kind of patients to pharma, manufacturers, and to um, uh, anyone within the clinical trial ecosystem. So data is, is the first asset, okay? And then the second A is this characteristic of immutability. When information is locked in a blockchain, it, it can't change. It's, it's immutable in nature. And this is fantastic for audit and retrospective purposes of looking at information or, or carrying out information or, or clinical trials on retrospective information. The third A stands for automation. So one of the programming languages is known as Solidity, and that programming language is affiliated with the Ethereum blockchain. And Ethereum is a, a Turing complete language, which allows automation of, of smart contracts. 
So when um, particular aspects of a contract have been validated, uh, the smart contract can automate itself and uh, deliver what's needed to the parties depending on the contract. Uh, the fourth A is anonymized, so privacy. So we want to keep everything confidential for, for all patients who are using these blockchain-enabled patient-centric solutions. And we want to be GDPR compliant. We want to put patients in control of their data. We want them to be anonymous in this regard. And the last A is all for one and one for all. So we want a decentralized open source solution. And we want to work with other pharma companies. I'm working from a Novartis perspective in the consortium, but there's 12 other global pharma companies. And in order for blockchain to succeed both internally and externally within this ecosystem, we need to work together with other key players in the industry. But yeah, so blockchain technology is the fundamental pinning layer of the cryptocurrency Bitcoin, and they're both entwined with one another. But instead of associating the technology with a kind of a digital financial asset, think of data as, as the real gold here. You know, data is the asset. And given the COVID-19 pandemic, digital innovation has been fast-tracked at a rampant pace and clinical trials are becoming decentralized in nature, which means patients are staying at home, they're using patient wearables, and these wearables will be pivotal in, in capturing clinical trial events and outcomes. And I think that's the first step. And I think the second step is to put this blockchain-able layer to then have the ecosystem where the information can be trusted at all parties and all levels. Thank you for such a wonderful explanation of blockchain technology. I think the point you've made as well is about the confidentiality piece. We've seen confidentiality in recent years and accentuated with the COVID-19 pandemic. What are people doing with this data? Are we being tracked? And I think it's a really important point here. There's a fine line between secrecy for clandestine operations with secrecy to protect people's identities, medical histories. Why is it for you, why is it important for establishing trust, particularly in this area of blockchain yeah. technology? I think blockchain technology is the enabler for trust in this kind of digital realm of medical information. Patients need to be more empowered and more in control of their own healthcare and medical data. Privacy, anonymity, you know, this must be preserved and it needs to be GDPR compliant and has to be adhered to in terms of regulation. But the goal here, I think, is to put the patient in control of their data. You know, patient relationships tend to happen with the healthcare provider and vice versa. But there's not many avenues for a patient to know that their product is authenticated in terms of provenance from, from the manufacturer themselves. So we're opening different ways of communication and, and recall functionality, depending on, on the application or use case that we're using for, for blockchain. But in essence, we want patients to become more empowered. We want them to become more involved in the clinical decision-making process. And we think that this can be established through the use of these blockchain-based patient-centric solutions or applications. I did hear recently that Rolex, for example, are now issuing blockchain technology-derived certificates. So you're no longer getting paper, you're getting a virtual certificate, I suppose, it's something very similar to the backseat certificate. So it's ubiquitous, isn't it? Correct. It can, it can be applied to any industry, essentially. So what's the Pharma Ledger project all about? And apparently you've got a website that people can access it. It's pharmaledger.eu. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So pharmaledger.eu, we have uh, lots of news and publications and resources and blog posts there. And you can reach us through Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube and all the regular kind of social media platforms. But 
The Pharma Ledger Project is a public-private partnership. It's sponsored by the Innovative Medicines Initiative and the European Federation of Pharmaceutical Industries and Associations, EFPIA, under something known as the Horizon 2020 program. Now, Pharma Ledger isn't the only project. There are multiple digital innovations projects, but Pharma Ledger specifically is a 36-month project, and we're currently halfway, and it kicked off in January 2020. And it's bringing together 12 global pharma companies and 17 public private entities. And these include technical, legal, regulatory, academic, research organizations, patient representative organizations such as the European Patients Forum or European Forum for Good Clinical Practice, as well as hospitals. So it's a a whole plethora of different stakeholders within the consortium. And the reason I think this consortium has got so much traction and it's developing so quickly is because every company wants to test their use cases in a sandbox environment. And internally, due to restrictions or the way that the teams are formed internally at the pharma companies, they need to have the ability to collaborate with other pharma companies because the goal going forward is to to make an open architecture that any company can connect to and that any patient can use worldwide. What does success look like, Kirit? And when do you think this will mature to achieve the 10 goals? Within the project, we have three domains, and those are clinical trials, supply chains, and healthcare data. And from those different domains, we have different use cases. But the goal of the project is to provide a, a widely trusted platform that will support the kind of adoption and design of these blockchain-enabled healthcare solutions. And we want to accelerate the the innovation and deliver this to patients. It will benefit the whole ecosystem from patients to manufacturers to hospitals from A to Z. We, We want to have an open architecture for every product, depending on the use case. And we want to, at its core, build a, a digital trust ecosystem, which is completely blockchain agnostic. So instead of reinventing the wheel and saying, look, let's use blockchain X to do this function, let's make an abstract layer so any blockchain can connect to it and uh, we can be agnostic and hit the ground running. But at this moment in time, the key to this project actually being sustainable is the governance. This is a hot topic right now within the consortium and within Pharma Ledger. So we're figuring out how can we make the project more sustainable and then develop into something potentially like the next generation of Pharma Ledger. What does it look like, you know, in five or 10 years time? So we're trying to put down the the fundamentals and the the foundations now to determine what the governance is. Well, that's very important. Governance is important uh, because ultimately at the heart of this is people's data or company data. So it needs to be protected. That's 100% correct. With governance, we need to determine who can decide, who has the ability to decide, who has the voting power, yeah, it's the more political and societal aspects of blockchain technology that, given my uh, experience, that I, I'm, I'm learning on, on the job. And this is why my definition keeps changing of what is blockchain technology. So there's quite a lot of levels to governance. And I think we're getting there. And hopefully we should be able to find a solution um, throughout the, the next 18 months of the project to, to continue for the future years to come. I gave an example of the Rolex certificate. So I would imagine that you may have use case examples of a healthcare nature any examples you can share? So there's, um, there, there's been eight derived use cases from the first year and a half of the project. Initially, I think there were three proposed, but given the nature of how the technology is, it can be applied to a plethora of different use cases. So initially, the use cases range from e-consent. 
So how you can consent or do an informed consent or, or consent in any realm within the ecosystem. And that's linked to an identifier. So how can you as a patient know that you're a patient and the farmer will know that you are a genuine patient committing your consent. So there's a, a task force associated with identity and determining what, the, what a digital identity is. Once that is resolved and worked out, then we can then link that to the consent process. We're then also looking at e-recruitment. E-recruitment basically is working on a blockchain-based matching utility, depending on your healthcare data, where you can then consent um, your healthcare data to be used by certain pharmaceutical companies that have clinical trials, which match your inclusion criteria. So rather than pharma looking for the correct patient, we're empowering patients to then consent for their data to be released and, and be matched to certain clinical trials. And that will be using a, a blockchain-based uh, utility matching service. One of the key um, aspects of how blockchain technology will uh, kind of fit uh, within pharma, the, the kind of the gold standard use cases are supply chains. I mean, it, it just fits, this, it just works. So we have two use cases, finished goods traceability, and clinical supply chain. So, you know, what happens to investigation medicinal products after use during a clinical trial? How are goods uh, manufactured? What temperature are they stored out? Where, you know, which warehouses are they kept in? And how do they actually get to the community pharmacy? How do they get into the patient's hand? So you've got your whole clinical supply chain. And then you're also looking at personalized medicine and IoT, Internet of Things. As mentioned before, you know, there's been a paradigm shift into patient wearables, decentralized clinical trials keeping patients at home where they're comfortable and safe instead of dragging them out to hospitals to get their bloods or parameters monitored. So the whole aspect of personalizing that experience within clinical trials and then linking that data via IoT, Internet of Things, to machine learning or, or algorithms to, to develop or determine healthcare outcomes. The next use case is e-leaflet, electronic product information. So the yeah, European Medicines Agency released an updated uh, electronic products information document whereby we need to make the patient information leaflets more personal to patients in terms of the functionality. Right now, if you took every single piece of paper from a patient information leaflet from every medication box, from every global pharmaceutical company in the world, and you stack them on top of each other, it would be over 500 kilometers high, probably around about 50 times bigger than Everest. So Think about the environmental impact and the carbon footprint we can reduce with a, an electronic product information app. And you're not just putting a, a copy of the patient information leaflet on glass. You're not just providing a PDF on someone to view. We're actually working with the European Patients Forum to get feedback from focus groups on the functionality in terms of the user experience within the app. So through the application, you'll be able to scan a 2D matrix or a barcode on the product. You'll then be able to check whether the, uh, the, the product is authentic. And this is the last use case for, for anti-counterfeiting. So you're making sure it's, it's provenance, there's authenticity on the medicine. You can see that it's genuine and it's a verified product. But also, if it's not genuine, the application for electronic product information will, will notify you for batch recalls. It's a very interesting use case and it's the most advanced because I think patients get most of their use from knowing adverse event reporting uh, uh, profiles, as well as um, being able to communicate with, with manufacturers or have the ability to be notified that their, their product is genuine or fake. And given the current crisis with the last year and a half with, with COVID, with counterfeit PPE, one of the use cases proposed before COVID kicked off was a digital immunization passport. 
So yeah, we've been through a, a you know a long and arduous process to determine the use cases, and these are the eight use cases that we've come up with. We interviewed Oksana Bizik at UCL, and she was saying there were fake COVID nineteen vaccines before they even been approved. This shows you the depths that some people go to to make to make money. I resonate very much with the work you're doing in accounting for supplies for investigational medicinal products. And I can see that being used a lot for controlled drug substances research because that causes problems. Can you account where those substances are? I suppose that's what you're striving to. I suppose my last question is, when do you see this being realised? You kind of hinted to it before, but when do you think it would come in? And would you ever see it in the community pharmacy but it's funny you're asking that because in mid-September, I'm running a workshop with the International Students Pharmaceutical Federation, which have over 500,000 members around the world. And we're running a kind of a blockchain conceptual hackathon whereby we're, we're asking the students after giving them a, a 101 in blockchain technology, how would they integrate blockchain technology within the community pharmacy sector? So we're going to see where it'll come in. I can see it happening from my experience. Patients come in for controlled drug substances. You've got your disuse substances weekly. You've got your compliance checks and repeat prescriptions. And think of all the time you can save on the phone to your GP surgery for, as a pharmacist. You know, if, if you have it in front of you that, you know, the patient picked up X drug on, on Y date and, you know, the, the doctor prescribed this amount and it's transparent between all three parties. There is a lot of skepticism towards the adoption of blockchain technology purely because it's just so young. It's, it's, it's only 12 years old, but things are being developed at a rampant pace. I think what happens with any new technology, first, there's a, an initial kind of a fear associated with it. I mean, when the internet first came out, it, you know, it was, there was a lot of scaremongering and there's a lot of stories about how the internet can be quite dark in nature. But same with Bitcoin technology, it's been associated with groups and activities and websites that have underpinned quite illegal activity. But once you look at the technology at the core and apply it to different industries, that's the real game changer in, in my mindset. It's going to be a long, arduous process. Blockchain technology does not solve everything. Uh, you know, they're perfectly good solutions that work out there. But we think we found the best use cases for the technology. I envisage probably within about, I'd say about five to 10 years, patients will be using the technology without knowing they're using it. And that's one of the key things here. I think because of the hype around Bitcoin and blockchain, everyone wants to know, oh, what is blockchain? How does it work? But on a serious level, nobody really asks how a web server works or what a node works or how a, you know, a network works. Nobody wants to know that because of the hype associated with the price of Bitcoin. There's that inherent skepticism. But you know, I, I can see this being pulled out into every single industry. I think it's going to take a while, just at the start. Having the consortium together, pulling the Pharma Ledger project together, it's a pioneering consortium. And I think the deliverables after a year and a half, you know, will be in a stage where we have certain products that could go to an MVP or, in, or into production. But unless we have that governance structure in controller in place, then we'll see the real use cases and the real application of blockchain technology within the farming industry. Good. Thank you for a really fascinating overview of the work that you're doing, particularly on blockchain technology and its applications and why it's so important for pharmacy to be involved at the very beginning. On behalf of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, thank you for your time. Thank you, Gina. Thank you very much um, to the RPS for having me on. Absolutely. our pleasure. Thank you for listening to the new RPS Pharmacy podcast out every other Friday. Don't forget to get involved and have your say using the hashtag RPS Pharmacy. See you in two weeks' time.